0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and the opportunity we have to, to praise you, to praise your name, and to hear your word preached. We pray that as we are taught your word, that um, that seed would fall on good soil, that it would not be snatched away or um, go away quickly, but that it would spring up to eternal life. And this is eternal life, that we know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we pray for Chris um, as he has been given the charge to preach your word. We pray that he would do that faithfully um, and that the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart would be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. Um, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Well, good morning, church. Um, we are diving into the book of Numbers, chapter 22, but um, this verse has kept coming to my heart. Uh, this week out of James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance or endurance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking Anything. And, and we see this verse just being played out through our world, being played out through the book of Exodus where a group of people are rescued from slavery and, and walking in the ways of the Lord and yet they, they sin and they fall short and, and they hunger and they grumble and they thirst and they complain and, and their leaders fall and all these sort of things are happening in the people of um, Israel and yet some of them continue faithful, Joshua and Caleb. They spy out the land and remain faithful to the Lord. I just want to encourage you to have endurance. The definition of endurance, I wrote it down, as the ability to walk through difficult circumstances without wavering. Walking through difficult circumstances without losing our trust in the Lord. You know, a few weeks ago we had this prayer. Lord, help us to glorify him, to know the truth and live it. That's still our prayer. Our prayer is still to walk in the ways. Just as the Israelites are learning through this process, they're learning how to walk with the Lord. And sometimes the attacks from the enemy don't even come from inside. Sometimes they come from the outside. We're going to see in our story here in Numbers 22 that the attacks, the Israelites aren't even going to know about the attacks that are going on around them until later on in the story. Because the king of Moab is going to begin to attack The people of Israel in a very unique way. So we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 22. It says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped by the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. So the people, remember, had to go around the land of Edom and now they're traveling towards Jericho, right? So I want to show you a map once again of kind of where they're traveling. If you remember last week, we had to take this route down around Edom. And then they're heading up, and they're right, you see where Jericho is in the middle, and there's a little kind of valley that's, not little, because there's a lot of people there, but a valley that's there before Jericho that the people of Israel are in. Now, you'll notice that they're kind of in between a couple different nations, right? So these nations, here comes this huge group of people in between these different nations, right? Here's a picture of what that valley would have looked like. Imagine this valley, right, taking, picturing the Jordan and, and over that, that this is where the people of Israel are camped out, right? And we're going to see in this story that the king of Moab begins to get nervous because here is this huge Group of people, and he has a reason to get nervous. Look what it says in verse 2. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was in great dread of the people because there were many, because there were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And there was a reason that they should have been in fear. Because as Israel was walking this way, can you put that map back up for us, Emily? As they were walking, they tried to go through Ammon, and they said no. They tried to say, can we just travel through your land? We're trying to go to this promised land. And Ammon said no, which makes sense. If you're a foreign country, you don't let an army of people march through your territory, right? But as a result of that, they went to war, and Israel wiped out the Amorites. And then they went north, and they went to the King Og. Isn't that a cool name for a king? King Og of Bashan. This is like a cool name, right? By the way, he was a, a Nephilim. He was a giant. They say um, in the book of Numbers that his bed was nine cubits long, right? That's like 13 and a half feet long. doesn't mean he was that tall, but that's how big his bed was. So this was King Og gets destroyed by the Israelites. So here's Moab going, man, we're next. We're next. They're going to conquer us just as before. And so the people begin to, to get nervous, and they begin to have this dread and this fear. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will lick up all that is around us as a, an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pether. So he's going to send out a delegation to talk to Balaam and invite him back. Now, Balaam is this sort of um, seer, sorcerer, prophet kind of guy. The Bible never calls him a prophet, but that's out there, a famous person. And what's interesting about this, you know how I like to nerd out about archaeology, right? And so did you know that there is this inscription on a wall that they found in Jordan that actually has the name of Balaam, son of Beor, on their wall? Talking about this story and talking about this seer or sorcerer, it's called, I think it's called KAI 312. It was discovered in 1967 in Jordan, and it talks about this character that's in the Bible. Now, this is just unheard of. To see this, like, seemingly minor character in the Bible in Numbers 22 actually found in the archaeological record, it's almost like the Bible's true. Isn't that crazy? It's almost like the Bible, the more they dig up, the more they're going to find that the Bible is a historical document, and these things happen. Now, listen, I know what you're thinking. You've heard of Balaam before, and there's a donkey that's going to talk. Is this real? Right? You're thinking, is this real a donkey talks? I mean, I watched Shrek, right, that documentary, (laughs) and it talks in there, but I'm just kidding. It's not a documentary, all right? But Do donkeys really talk? No, it's got to be a myth. It's got to be a story that's out there. It's not really true. But we have historical evidence, archaeological evidence, hard because it's on a rock, evidence that Balaam is real, that Balaam, son of Beor, a seer, it calls him a seer on this inscription. It's amazing. Go check it out when you get home. Read about it. It's crazy. It's just one of those amazing things that God has unearthed to show that this is not just some mythological, made-up story for, good for kids. There's actually something God is teaching us in this story. Strange story, but true. All right. so then it goes on. Right? and so they, they begin to want to get Balaam, son of Beor, at Pithor. By the way, Pethor is like 400 and something miles north of Moab. So this is quite the effort to get Balaam to come down to do this, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, and to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out from the land. I know that he whom you bless is blessed, And he whom you curse is cursed. Doop, doop. You've heard that before, haven't you? The whomever you curse will be cursed and whoever you bless will be blessed. We've heard that before. If you remember back to Genesis chapter 12, this was the promise God gave to Abraham right? In, in Genesis 12, 3, he told him, whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And then later on in chapter 27, verse 29, it actually says that Isaac, remember when, you know, red hairy arms smells like his brother, Jacob got the blessing? He actually says, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, will be cursed, right? This this has been something that's been passed down, that God is going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And here is Balak, the Moabite, wanting to claim that promise for himself, wanting Balaam to be the one to do the curse and put the curse upon them. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message and said to And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. And this is is a really weird verse, because here comes Balak's examples, right? The, The governors, the princes, these different people to talk to him. And here's what, what are they bringing with them? The fees of divination. So he's known as a seer, but also like divination, sorcery, magic. There's something around Balaam and that kind of idea, this fee, they're buying a curse from him. Yet what does Balaam say? I'm going to go and ask the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, what I should do. So we have this follower of Yahweh that still practices the dark arts and divination and sorcery. Like I think of this as that lukewarm idea of like, Yes, what does God want me to do, but I also have my foot dabbling in the things of the world to make a little money on the side to perform curse. So he's going to go ask the Lord what he should do. And the Lord is going to answer him in this story as well. So the princes, let me get where I'm at real quick. Um, So the elders of Moab asked him um, with the fees of divination, and they stayed there. And then it says, so the prophets, or the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said... Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent them to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. It covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I will be able to fight against them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Don't go and curse the people, right? That's God's answer to him. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. That would be a great ending to the story. That would be great. He heard from the Lord, he rejected them, and it's done. But Balak, he hears the news. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. Here's what he says. Hey, Balaam, I got a blank check for you. You ask for it, you get it. In fact, you see this in his answer to him, right? And he answers him and says, Even if you gave me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go. He knows that this is a bribe, an endless bribe. Just come and curse this people. Now, that would be tempting, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. If, if someone came to you and said, hey, I'm going to give you a credit card that you never have to pay off. All you have to do is talk bad about this person. Yeah, they're your friend, but, man, all your debt's figured out. If you have your foot in the world, it's really, really, really tempting if your thoughts are about money, your thoughts are about possession, then this blank check idea is tempting. Who doesn't want a credit card that you never have to pay back? Who doesn't want that? Even though it might ruin us because our thoughts and our mind go to things that don't provide eternally. Anyway, but here's the check. Blank check out there for it, right? And Balaam answered him and said, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. So why does he go back and ask God again? Okay, if you're a parent, you know what's happening, right? One kid comes to you like, Dad, can I go out with my friends? You're like, no. Mom, can I go? Right, this is what happens to your house. And what's the mom's answer? Did, did you already ask your dad? What did he say? Whatever he said is the answer, right? We see that Balak is going back to God Why why is he going back to God? Wanting a different answer. Why do we go back to God? When God clearly gives us a command, clearly tells us something, why do we just keep asking and keep asking, hoping he's going to change his mind, hoping he's going to do it differently? Now listen, what's happening in this story is, is very, very interesting because God is going to teach us something about this because what he told him earlier, don't even go there. Don't even start thinking about going and cursing the people. But yet God here is going to start revealing some of this. And look what he says. God came to Balaam at night, verse 20, and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. And so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled. Now, what? Didn't God say you can go? And now God's angry at him for going. What's going on here? And this could seem confusing to us because we're reading it in English. Okay? Because if you look at this story in Hebrew, you see that there's different words for this going that's that's happening, right? If you go back to the first part verse 12, right? He says, "Don't go with them." Right? He's saying, "Don't even go there mentally." It's this idea of don't go physically or mentally. Don't start thinking about it. Don't start running it over in your head. How would this go? Don't start thinking about the riches. Don't we start thinking about those things. And yet Balaam shows that he's been thinking about it by going back to God. So he's already beginning to violate. So in this second answer, right, God tells him and uses a different word. Right? He, instead of telling him, okay, don't even worry about it, it says, Just you can go physically, but don't curse the people. You can go, but do only what I say, right? And so God, in this particular, says, "Okay, I'll let you be the instrument of my blessing of the people. You can go, but don't let your mind begin to wonder." And yet, in this next verse, when it says that Balaam went with the princes, that word's different. It's the word halak. Which means that you're going to live, go, and walk with them. And this idea of walk, remember we read it earlier, walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. That means that you're putting yourself into that position that I'm with Christ and I'm walking with him. So what we see in this verse, and we're going to see it consistently through this story, is that what Balaam has done is he's let himself begin to think about the riches. And they decide I'm going to go and I'm going to cash that blank check. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell the people. How do we know that? Well, we know something about Balaam's character from the rest of the story. Now, you know what's going to happen, right? You know that a donkey's going to talk to him and rebuke him. He's going to get rebuked by a donkey, right? Balaam is supposed to be the one who can see what God has in store, but the donkey sees the angel. Balaam is supposed to be one who speaks the word of God, but the donkey is going to speak the word of God. The donkey is going to rebuke him. Right, So Balaam's going to miss this whole thing. How do we know what's going to happen? Well, we see later on in the story, if you go to Numbers 25, we see Balaam begin to cash this blank check. Because in Numbers 25, after God has made him speak blessing to the people, he goes and he begins to bring women in from Moab. He begins to bring idols in from Moab. And he leads the people astray through prostitution, through idolatry. And he still leads the people astray but just in a different way, a kind of silent subterfuge for what's going on in this particular story. And then we see in Numbers 31 that uh, Balaam gets killed by the sword. But he's actually mentioned in Revelation. Turn forward uh, to Revelation chapter 2. Um, and we see this picture of Balaam that becomes a picture of this false teaching, greedy for gain sort of picture that's now for the Israelites. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they might eat food sacrificed to idol and practice sexual immorality. In other words, don't be like Balaam who practiced sexual morality, who brought idolatry into the people. And this worship of Baal that came into the people, it took a long time to get it out from them, didn't it? You Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? You Remember all these stories of this worship that's been introduced to them? It's hard to get loose. It's hard to get it out of the system. And that was introduced to them by Balaam after the story. So we see Balaam's character is not one that's going to be able to follow through unless the Lord makes him. So let's pick it up again in verse 22. It says, "But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood, took his stand in the way of his adversa- as his adversary. Now he was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside from the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey." To turn her into the road. So, first time the angel of the Lord stands against him. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. That's the second time, right? Then the third time. Do you notice that it's getting more and more narrow from the road to the path to now? Where there's no avoiding. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either on the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. All right, do you think the donkey really talked? Do you think the serpent really talked? God can do what God wants to do, right? I mean, I think he opens the mouth of the donkey. I mean, like, think Narnia. I mean, think, think whatever you want to think. But this is a picture. How do we know? Well, because Balaam answers back, which I don't know. If you go home today and your dog is like, hey, what's up? How's church? <laughs> I don't know if you answer, right? I know you might step out and let me try this again. Am in the right place? What's going on in this thing, right? But Balaam, he just goes with it, right? He starts having this conversation with the donkey. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with its, his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? I love that answer. Like, why are you mistreating my creation? This, this creature has saved your life, and here you are wanting to kill it and, and mistreat it. And this is my creation. Why are you mistreating it? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse, before me. Your way is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And do you realize what God's doing? When your way is wrong, the Lord sets himself up against you. Have you ever thought about that? If we were to take this into our life and apply it to our life, then when we are traveling in a way that is perilous, a way that is not in the way God wants us to go, he will oppose us. But guys, we can avoid it for a while. In this story, it goes from wide to narrow to more narrow until the Lord gives you no choice but to deal with your sin. And here we see this avoidance. What did the avoidance do? What did Balaam do when he avoided this? He caused pain to those that were around him. He caused pain to this faithful creature, right, this faithful donkey that had saved his life. He mistreats it. Why? Because of his sin. And he lets the sin get deeper ingrained in him through this process of avoiding the call of the Lord. Instead of turning, repenting. Instead of falling on his face and saying, Lord, I have sinned, he hurts those around him. And guys, what does James 1, verses 14 and 15 say? When it begins to talk to us about this process of sin, right? God's not tempted by anyone, nor are we tempted by well, we're tempted by our own desires, right? what it says. I'll just read it. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And desires give birth to sin. And then sin, when fully conceived, gives birth to death. And then our desires lead us astray into sin. And if we keep that sin up, avoiding the Lord, it leads to death. And that's what we see in this story. Balaam's at that foot of death, but he has to fall down Before it says, Your way is perverse. The donkey saw me, verse 33, and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. Now he's ready to turn back picture of repentance. I have sinned. I know I'm heading this way, but I'm willing to turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the words that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princess of Balak. And we see him go now to be able to speak a blessing instead of a curse. Uh, Turn forward to, to 2 Peter with me real quick, because there's another reference of Balaam in this sort of story that's going on here, Peter begins to point it towards the church that's there, right? He says this in verse 15, right? 2 Peter 2, 15. It says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. So the people he's talking to have gone astray, right? Um, it says, they have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but the rebuke for his own transgression... A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. That's that's Peter's picture of what is happening here, that he was maddened with a desire for gain, worldly gain instead of eternal things. These are waterless springs and a mist driven by the wind. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. We don't want to be a waterless spring, do we? We don't want to have the appearance of life but not have life. We don't want to be a mist that's just blown away really quickly in the wind, right? We want to have an eternal impact on our community, on those around us. Let's not be like Balaam, having one foot in the world and one foot chasing after the Lord. That's lukewarm. What does Revelation say about those that are lukewarm? It should be spewed out of his mouth. We don't want to have this lukewarmness. We want to be sold out for the Lord. And so Balaam gives four oracles, and we're, we don't really have time to go into all of them. I'm just going to hit some highlights for you of these oracles, right? Here's what it says. You can read through uh, Numbers 23 and 24 to kind of get the fullness of everything that's spoken. But Balaam right, gets brought up to a high place to look out over Israel, but the high place just barely sees a little bit of Israel, and then he gives this command. This is in verse 8. Now, I can cur- how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Like how can I curse those who God hasn't cursed? I can only speak the words of God. And then verse 11 says, And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered, I must or must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? He's like, I'm going to come and I'm only going to speak the words of the Lord. And then Balak takes him to another place to speak out over them. And here's what he says in verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and it will, and will, it not, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I receive a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. The Lord has blessed this people and he cannot revoke it, right? And then in the third oracle, he repeats the phrase that Balak used about him, but he uses it about the Lord and the people. And in verse 9, he says, blessed are those who you bless and cursed are those who curse you. And it reminds him of this promise that had been given to the people, not to Balak, And then in the fourth time, in verse 17, it says this, which is an interesting pointing ahead. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come up out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Who is this star going to be? Jesus that's going to rule over the nations, right? God even uses somebody chasing after gain to proclaim who he is, to proclaim his name to the nations, right? And I want to jump forward. This, this will be our last verses to read, but look at Joshua chapter 24. We're going to close out with this story. We see Joshua now thinking back on all that God has done through this process. And he says this starting in verse 6, and it's a final challenge for us as well. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fa- that your fathers served beyond the river. And in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's the choice before us. Are we going to choose to serve the Lord? Are we going to choose the gain of the world The sin that entangles us, are we going to choose to be faithful and serve him? I don't know about you, but I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have brought into my heart the reality of Jesus, that I can know you, that I can devote my life to you. Lord, as for this house, Lord, we will serve the Lord. You are the one true God and there is no other. So, Lord, we bring you worship and we bring you praise. May everything that we do bring glory to your name. Teach us the truth and help us to live by it in your name. Amen. Hey, Paul.